we've been going through Genesis, and we are going to continue going through Genesis. Some of you are like, man, we've been here all summer. Yes. Yes, we have. We got more. All right, so I'm going to fly through some of what we've covered in other sermons. Um, just highlight it. We're going to keep going from there. Um, I'm going to continue doing this, one, so that we can keep building, but two, this is a season where we're going to have college students coming back and families that have been on vacation, so I just want to leak hit through some of those points, okay? So God creates everything in six days, and then he rests, not because he's tired, but because rest is good. It's a blessing. Then he creates us in his image, and there's a a beautiful thing of if we're in his image, he's also created us to be creative, all right? And we talked about, are we, do we have a far God or a close father, right? And we talked a little bit about, does uh, God create a space for us to fill in Genesis, and then he invites us to create a space for him to fill in our hearts. We talked about how the Bible uses chiasms, which is like patterns that we can find over and over. And in those patterns, the Hebrews would put these chiasms there because it's like, hey, if you dig, look here. Like we're going to point you to this thing because there's something deeper than just reading through it quick. All right? Um, Adam's father uh, reveals his presence first and not his power first. Um, I want to just pause for a second. I had a moment this week that really broke my heart. I was watching, um, I was watching my son play soccer. That, that didn't break my heart. That made me happy. Um, but while I was watching, there was another father that showed up with one of his sons. And uh, little guy was terrified of his dad. And his dad, like, grabbed him by the arm and like put him against the fence and was like, don't you ever tell me, don't you, you know, like, and was really ripping into this kid. And like this kid was shrieking away from, from his father. And like my heart was like, ah, like I'm pausing to tell you this story for a couple reasons. One being when you hear Adam first knew God by his presence. He knew God's father as a, you know, I knew his presence This is not the presence that I'm talking about. Now, if you have a father who was like that to you, you're going to see this thing like, whoo, I'd rather a God of power than a a father because that's terrifying in not the good ways, right? Now, does he have all authority? Is there power? Is there stuff to be terrified about God's power? Yes. That's not what I'm talking about, right? If you have abuse, I don't want you to start off saying, wait, wait. I thought you said our story starts with goodness because that does not feel good. You have a different father and a better father than that. Second reason is is I just want to publicly say, God, have mercy on that dad. Get his heart. God, we just ask that you would reveal yourself as that good dad to him because chances are he got it from his father and from his father and his father. And so we just ask that you would, you would break that generationally from that kid and that son would know you as a father and that you'd restore a right relationship with them. Yeah. Um, dad stuff messes me up if you guys didn't realize. Anyways, um, men start with rest. We talked a little bit of how, you know what, God did six days of work and then he rested, but really... Adam, like, he got on the scene, he named things, and then he rested. Like, he's like, oh, first full day, let's rest. This is awesome. 
Right? We talked about evening and then morning, how even the day structure was started off with rest, and then you work out of that rest instead of working and then rest because you're tired, right? We talked a little bit about belief and faith and how when you're immature, those two things are directly tied in a place where if your beliefs are challenged, you think your faith is challenged, and we can have a hard time asking questions, right? And the Western mind specifically, when we read through the Bible, we're looking for the easiest, quickest solution so we can move on. The Eastern mind likes, like, thinking about it and questioning. Like, it's kind of like genealogies. In, in the West, we're like, genealogies, how can I skip through this because I can't say any of their names, right? In the Eastern mindset, in the Hebrew mindset, it's like, yes, we've got genealogies. Like, there's so much in here. Let's take a look at it, right? I don't know. It's just different, right? It's okay. Um, P.S., part of why you're going to keep hearing me go back to Eastern versus Western mindsets and Hebrew mindsets is because we have a Jewish rabbi named Jesus that we follow. So it's probably good that we understand some of the concepts and some of the structure and some of the, like, mindsets that he grew up in and he talked to because there are, there are these nuggets of, like, oh, that's what you meant by that? Oh, that's different than my Western mindset. So I'm going to keep going back to that because a rabbi is Jewish. All right? Um, story started with goodness. We talked about how there was two trees. Hey, there's a tree of life, and there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, which leads to death. And almost every structure in the world and almost every religion is based on good and evil, blessing and curses, punishment, and not, hey, choose life or this thing that's going to produce death. That is, like, if you can grab hold of that, that's massive. It's, we'll keep coming back another time, but right now we're going to keep going. Um, God, nope, um, next one. Okay, so we talked a little bit about before and after eating of the tree. They were naked without shame, then naked with shame. There was no comparison, then there was comparison. God was doing the judging, then Adam and Eve started with the judging, also starting with the blaming, all right? There's love that entered the world. Fear enters the world afterwards. You've got woman here. He names her Eve there. Adam rested, didn't know how to rest there. Trusted God over here, they trusted themselves over here. They only knew life. Like God, they now know good and evil. All right? Father God came close. Woo! Father God came close. You like that catch? Nice. All right? We didn't have sin or death before, which is a fascinating thought. Like, Adam and Eve, were they mortal or immortal? Isn't that kind of a fascinating thought? You have this ability to eat from this tree of life forever, assumingly. I would say they were both, uh, I would say they were neither immortal or mortal. They were set up with the ability to choose. Isn't that kind of an interesting thought? Anyways, we'll keep going with that. All right, so you've got um, sin that enters the world, which then leads to death. All right? You've got mankind in the garden. You've got mankind kicked out east of the garden. You've got no enmity. Then you've got enmity between the seed of mankind and the seed of the serpent. You've got no pain, they're working together. Then you've got painful childbirth. Desire for your husband, but he'll rule over you. You've got the ground that's blessed. You've got the ground that's cursed. You've got work and rest. And then you've got painful labor with no rest afterwards. All right? Here's a few things that we skipped in the first couple chapters because you're like, wait, we've been here all summer. What do you mean we've skipped? We skipped a ton about what exactly does this created earth look like. Right? What does the water above and the waters below and the no rain and the firmament, the sun, 
the moon, the stars, the season. What's up with this, like, we're going on the story, and it's like, hey, let me tell you about these four rivers. One of them in a lot of detail, and then, like, less detail, less detail, and, oh, by the way, there's a fourth river. All right, let's go back into Adam and even how they fell, right? So, like, we skipped over some of that stuff. I'm going to continue skipping over it. Um, we'll talk back about it another day. All right, here's some other questions, right? I invite you, ask questions, right? So, was God shocked? Like, was he surprised that they ate of the tree? I, I don't think so. Do any of you guys think that he was shocked? No? I, okay. I don't think so. Did Adam and Eve perceive that God demanded a blood sacrifice for the sin committed? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. How Adam and Eve... Actually, you know what? Let's talk about it right now. Think about this for a second. If you have a serpent that is saying, hey, if you eat of this tree... You're going to be like God. You're going to be able to tell good and evil. And then God confirms that the serpent really wasn't fully lying about this. He was deceptive about it, yes. Right? Because after they ate, God said, hey, they're like us. They can see good and evil. Right? And then he pivots and says, lest they eat of this tree of life and stay in this state. Like, we've got to do something about it. Let's kick them out. And kicking them out of the garden was actually a gracious act. Do we think about that as a gracious act? Because usually we just think about this as like punishment. Another one, oh, you get booted. And God's like, no, no, no. I don't want you to be stuck in this. So I can't have you eat of the tree of life and stay stuck in this. I got to be able to redeem this. So I have to remove you from it, right? So, but think about this though, right? So if they think, oh, now that we see good and evil, right? We talked about how they attributed fear and comparison and shame and guilt. And they said, oh man, we're naked, Eve, you're naked too. Hey, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you too. We should cover ourselves. Let's put some fig leaves up. Like, think about this for a second. They're starting to assume like, hey, we are like God now. And so now if we're adding these judgments back and forth, we start assuming that God is thinking these things of them, right? Like we talked about, was it okay for them to be naked beforehand? Yeah. Was it okay for them to be naked afterhand? Yeah. Right? Do you think God was all of a sudden like, whoa, wait a second, I made you guys naked? Oh, messed that one up. Like, there was nothing like that, right? And so, you've got this thing that happens where I think they start, the judgments that they start putting in their heads, the things out of their shame, out of their guilt, they start attributing to God. Now, think about this for a second, right? So, if God comes in, there's these curses, there's stuff that happens, and then God turns around and it's like, hey, come on over here. This is how you sacrifice an animal. This is how you, 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 like, this is a process. Like, killing an animal with Adam and Eve present, like, this is how you do it. And this, this is not like a 12 seconds and we're done thing. Like, this is how you take care of the hide and then let's clothe you. Like, let's make these into clothes was not, I don't think, a 12-second process. Could have been. It's God. He can do what he wants, right? Either way, they're looking at this, and if, if I was Adam and Eve, I would look at this and say, I screwed up. I sinned. Whew. Okay, what happens next? I need to sacrifice an animal in order... Like, this needs to be part of the process for my redemption. You see what I'm saying? Like, and I... There's, there's obviously the book of Torah that talks about how to do sacrifices and everything else. But I wonder, did God say, now you must give me sacrifices? Or if... They started to do sacrificing and said, okay, I'm going to work out of your realm because you don't quite understand my realm yet, right? Fascinating concept for you to think about. 
Whew. Okay, here's the point though. Before eating of this tree, they were made in God's image. After eating of this tree, they're still made in God's image, right? But they started to think things that God hadn't thought of them, like this nakedness, right? And what they started to do is, with these blinders, with these glasses, they start to make God in their image, in their understanding. It's kind of like, I wasn't even going to use this as a thing, but like the kid that was struggling with his dad who was not a good father, right? He's going to have a hard time seeing a good father because he's going to see father through his dad's lens, right? When we look through our shame, when we look through our guilt, it really affects the way we, we view our story with God, right? One of the things with, with shame, two things with shame. One, we've talked about this before, but shame says that you're bad instead of you've done something bad, right? Shame tells you, hey, that's your identity now. Walk in it. The other thing with shame, this was like, throw this in your back pocket. I learned this a long time ago. Shame hears observations as accusations. Shame hears observations as accusations. It was really good in my life when I started hearing that because there's times in my life where I felt people were accusing me and I was like, oh, wait a second. If I feel like they're always accusing me about that thing, maybe they're just making an observation and it's my shame and my guilt that's actually hearing it that way but also gave me a lot more grace for other people when I was making an observation in their life and they like reacted really strongly. And I'm like, that, that, I was just saying, I like your shoes. Like, I, I don't know. I wasn't judging you for the shoes you're wearing. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Shame will hear observations as accusations. All right, I'm gonna move on from that. Um, point is, this is where men starts making God in our image instead of realizing that we're made in his image. Animals are created before Adam and Eve. Could birds nest in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Could animals eat it? I don't have an answer for you. I just like thinking these questions, right? And the reason why I'm saying these things is I I want us to, like, soak in the Scripture. I want us to, like, ask questions. Don't just, like, read through it and move on. Like, did, did they understand that Adam was told he was going to have dominion over them? Like, again, I'm not trying to, like, say this is theology. I'm trying to, like, get you to think about this for a second. Like, what is the, why would the serpent go around and say, huh, huh, I'm crafty. You know, like, I'm the one that's the craftiest of all the creatures, which means step back a step. Like, all the, the beasts were made. Then they watched as God made Adam. And then Adam was told, hey, you're gonna name all of these creatures. But really the point of it is, like, hey, there was no suitable helper made for him, right? And so he's going through looking for suitable helpers, and he's like, oh, no, giraffe, it's not you. Hippopotamus, funny name, but not you. Like, going through, someone there, I'm, this is, if I'm a serpent, I'm thinking, well, I'm obviously the smartest of these beasts. Like, I got to be the one, right? Again, it's not theology. I'm just asking you to, like, Think about this for a second. Like, why would, what is the motivation of the serpent to try to deceive Adam and Eve? Isn't that fascinating? Like, could it be the fact that you're like, hey, I heard God tell you that you're going to have dominion over me. You know what? I got a problem with that. If I can just get rid of these two schmucks, I'm good to go. Right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. But um, point is, like, fascinating. Um, Here's another one of those things. We talk about these curses. Like we rush through Genesis 1 and 2 to get to 3 with the fall. 
We forget that the whole story started with goodness. And then in the fall, we focus on all of the curses. But you know one of these cool little nuggets for you is? They had received a death penalty, right? That's not the cool nugget. But they were told, hey, you're going to die if you eat of this tree, which once sin entered the world, then it started this thing, hey, now you're more, like, mortal, you're going to die. Like, this is, this is put in motion. They knew they were going to die, right? They didn't know when exactly. They didn't know how exactly. Was God just, was he BA? Like, he could have just been like, what? All right, death penalty today, but God was merciful. He was patient with them. And he said, hey, your offspring and the offspring of the serpent, they're going to be at enmity. And Adam and Eve heard that and said, we're going to have offspring. And instead of Adam saying, all right, Eve, I'm going to call you like the death penalty because death came through you. Thank you, which actually P.S. in the Bible says comes through Adam, not Eve. But anyways, that's another story. Like instead of saying, hey, death, he's like, no, 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 you're the mother of all the living. Isn't that kind of cool? when he renames her that, because he's like, I'm hoping, I'm believing, I have faith on the promise that God is going to bring life out of death. Isn't that awesome? It's cool. I don't know. I think it's awesome. Then God puts cherubim on the east side of the Garden of Eden to protect people from eating of the tree of life. So then I start thinking, like, where is it today? Was it destroyed? Was it in the flood? Is it somewhere else? I've got my thoughts. I'm going to move on. All right. Then I start thinking, okay, You've got Adam and Eve. They're going to have kids. They know they're going to have kids. They're making this plan. What are they going to teach their kids? Right? Like, have you ever thought, what are they going to talk? Like, how many people are parents here that you said, I've thought about what I want to teach my kids. What are the things that are important? I mean, I, I have, right? Do, like, what do they teach that God the Father is? What do they teach about that relationship? What do they teach about, like, hey, when we were in this garden, it was so awesome. Or is it out of bitterness? I don't know. Like, what stories do they teach? Do they talk about the animals that we're talking? I, I don't know. Were there other animals that we're talking? I don't know. You know, were they talking about sacrifices, life, death, good, evil, right? I think, I think they taught them about their destiny. I think they held on to, hey, listen, you know what? There's going to be enmity between my seed and the serpent seed, which Guess what? If you are starting off and you're kidding, you're like, I'm going to have a child. This one's going to go after the serpent. You're, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking this is coming soon. Like, we're going to go to war with the serpent. We're going to take it down. Which then when you have Cain, that kind of changes the story a little bit because then now you're leaning into that story of like, hey, this seed, we gotta, we're going to go after the other seed. Isn't that fascinating? I don't know. All right. Just so you guys don't get super tired, I'm going to have everybody stand up. I'm going to read through all of Genesis 4. All right? And then we're going to talk about it. I might talk about it as we go to. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man. Hebrew word is acquired with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And if you don't do well, sin. It's crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. I like some of the other versions better than that. But anyways, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And now you are cursed from the... Mm, next one. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If... Nope. Mm, we'll get there. Uh, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and away from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on, on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lemek. And Lemek took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and she called his name Enosh. And um, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. All right, guys, go ahead and sit down. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the similarities of this story, okay, from Adam and Eve's story. Both of them couldn't master their desires, right? We talked a little bit about desire, right? With Eve, saw it was desirous. And even the Hebrew word for that desire, it's like she contemplated it, which it's this fascinating thought because just like our generation is, is being bombarded today with there's... I don't know, by now there's probably 700 genders. I don't, I don't know. I'm not trying to mock that, but like we are, we are pushing an agenda right now as a country. Like we grew up with a lot of other agendas, right? Um, I don't remember where I was going to go with that. Anyways, couldn't master the desire and chose to act on it. Um, they... They couldn't, they couldn't get over the desire with Eve. Desi oh, I know. Sorry. I had to backtrack my head. Um, that we sometimes, when we look back, the thing that, like, my generation, a lot of times we, we think about is evolution in particular, right? 
So what exactly did we come from? Did we come from this algae slime that became this, became that, all the other stuff? So evolution versus creation um, was raging for decades, right? And so it was this big thing. And out of that, we have this concept like, oh, man, men and women, we started off in the dark ages of like, we, we lived in caves and we were super not smart, right? And so like, we put that on our ancestors. But the truth is like, even from the start, they're intelligent. Like, there's some incredible intelligence we're, we're going to talk about shortly. But, like, you know, so-and-so Jubal was the father of all instruments. You know, like, he's making up songs. He's making up instruments to make songs. Like, that's awesome. You've got the other one who's, who's like, literally figuring out how to use bronze and iron to make tools. This is, this is really early on that they've got the intelligence to do this stuff, Right? And the point I want to make is with the desire stuff is when you go back to the Hebrew word with Eve, it's almost like she's fixated on this tree of knowledge of good and evil. She likes to consider it. She likes to think on it. Like she likes to sit there and process it. That's the kind of desire. Like think about it for you guys. How many people like knowledge? How many people like learning things, right? It's like she's so fascinated by this one tree that it's like if we're going to go on a sidestep, in Genesis 2, it says that the tree of life was in the center of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? So semantically, good chance that they're both in the center, but it should have said the tree of life and knowledge of good and evil, those trees were in the garden, in the center of the garden, right? But it says the life is in the center. And it's very specific to say the life is in the center because it's fascinating. Another one of those things we don't realize with Eve when it says, hey, we shouldn't eat of it, we shouldn't even touch it. We're like, oh, got the thing that was different. But there's more things that are different. Another one of those things that's different is it says, not the the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Now, it very specifically said the tree of life was in the middle. And then she very specifically says the tree of knowledge of good and evil is in the middle. And I would suggest to you, because she was so fascinated with, because of that desire, it became the center of her garden. Does that make sense? Isn't that a fascinating thought? Anyways... Either way, it's this desire, right, that she couldn't master that led to the sin. You've got the desire of Cain, right? God says, hey, buddy, sin is crouching at the door. Like, you have a desire, like, master this thing, right? Don't go down the route. I know your thoughts, like, don't do this thing that you're thinking about with Abel. And he turns around, and he takes Abel out into a field, and he takes out Abel, Right? Again, we've got this place where it couldn't master their desire. God asks, where are you, to Adam and Eve? And not the Hebrew word for where are you. Like, I don't, I don't actually know where you are. I can't find you. But, like, you belong here. This, you're not where you belong. And it's like, hey, Abel belongs here. He's not here. Where's Abel? And he's like, my brother's keeper. Your responsibility. Move the east out of the Eden, out of the garden, Right? It's fascinating to me that Cain, when he leaves, he moves east of Eden again. Huh? The ground was cursed, right, with Adam and Eve. And here again, the ground is cursed for Cain, right? Adam and Eve, they hid their face from God. And the first thing that Cain says is, your face is going to be hidden from me, right? You've got enmity between the snake and the seed of Eve. And then you get enmity between brothers. Hey, God, like they're going to, if they find me, they're going to kill me, right? And then you've got God who chose mercy instead of immediate death sentence for Adam and Eve. And God who chooses mercy 
instead of an immediate death sentence with Cain. Like, you have new life that is born out of the brokenness of both situations, which is beautiful to me. Um, a lot of times you're going to find that I'm going to go to what are the name meanings? Because, again, genealogies, we skip through all the name meanings in the West. East, they like it. So you've got Adam, which means man. You've got Eve, which is the mother of living. Cain, which means acquired, right? Acquired is kind of this fascinating name. Like, I acquired this thing. Like, how often do we use the word of acquired, right? There's a, I don't know, there's a side rant in there, but I'm not going to go there. All right? Um, he went to the land of Nod, which didn't really exist, right? Like, there was no city named Nod. It was just meant he went wandering. Like, he went wandering to the east, and where he would go, he would set up these cities. Like, God said, hey, you're going to wander. And he's like, yeah, but I'm going to set up a town here. I'm going to set up a town here. And I'm gonna, like, he had to just keep going. And he kept naming after his kids. All right, Abel means breath, and his life was essentially a breath, which is also fascinating because a lot of times it talks about God hears essentially the breath of Abel calling out to him. You've got Seth, which means appointed. And it's fascinating to me that Eve says, hey, this one is appointed instead of Cain for inheritance and everything else, the line. It goes through Seth instead of through Cain, right? So genealogy-wise, it should go through the firstborn son, which is named the Behor in, uh, in Hebrew. It's the Behor. It's like the firstborn in genealogies. It skips Cain and goes straight to Seth on behalf of Abel. All right, some more names. We look at Cain. So acquired, he had a son, which means inaugurated, trained, dedicated teaching. Um, they made a P.S. This is not the Enoch that's in Seth's line. Okay? Some of these names are like, oh, that's who they're... No, no, no. There's, sometimes there's a John and a John and a John and our same thing there. Enoch and Enoch. Right? You've got um, Irad, which is a city of witness. Also, his name means donkey or fugitive. So that's a tough break for him. Uh, Mehujael. Um, who proclaims God? Methushael, man of God. Think about this for a second. Like... I used to always read these things and be like, one, I can't understand the names. And two, I'm just assuming everybody that is cursed in Cain's line, like, is just going to be death and destruction, death and destruction, curse and everything else. But somewhere in the seed, God is still pursuing the story where he's like, hey, this one proclaims God and this one is a man of God. And then you got Lamech, who is a pauper, poor, despairing. And he marries Ada and Zillah. And this is the first account of us having a guy that has two wives doesn't work super great, um, but the first one means adornment, and she has a, a son named Jabal, which means attractive man, all right, father of those who live in tents and raise livestock, has another one named Jubal, which means stream or ram, who's the father of instruments, then he marries Zillah, which means shadow, and I can't but help think that she's in the shadow of the other wife, right, and in there you have Tubal Cain, and that's Cain Spices, Global Smith, World Spear, World Government is his name. Isn't that fascinating? Like, these are the things when we start looking through, like, what do these names mean? There's stuff that you can find in there, all right? He, this guy is the one that forged tools of bronze and iron, right? Um, those that are in Masonic, occultic, stuff like that would, would trace things all the way back to Tubal Cain, which is another side thought. Then they had a sister named Nama which means pleasant or lovely. Okay, um, going to Cain and Abel, we've got 1 John 3.12. We should not be like Cain, 
Is this pretty self-explanatory? We shouldn't be like Cain? No? Yes. Okay, you guys had me a little bit worried for a second. We should not be like Cain, uh, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. All right? And then Hebrews 11.4, on the flip side of that. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though which, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and though his faith, and through his faith, he died, but he still speaks. Now, going back to these gifts, so one of them gave livestock, the firstborn of the livestock with the fatted pieces of, of cat. Like, this is like, hey, this is the best of the best. I'm going to give you this right? And the other one gave him stuff from his garden. Now, is this saying like, hey, you know what? Has to be a blood sacrifice here. You know what? This garden stuff isn't going to cut it. Not exactly. Because in Leviticus 2, if you go into Leviticus 2, it talks about how you can give these grain offerings and these other offerings, even for sin, especially for specific situations. So it's not just that. Like when we read through it, the assumption is actually the heart behind it all, right? So it's the heart behind why they are, are sacrificing, what they're giving to him, that God's like, hey, hold on a second. Like, you're doing this thing begrudgingly. You don't really want to, but you're like trying to check the box and you're giving me like the moldy piece of fruit over here. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're better than this. This is me reading into it, P.S., right? Um, then there's this fascinating thing that happens. Jesus does these things called remezes, okay? So a remez is kind of like this. If I say in the beginning, a lot of times we think of God created the heavens and the earth, right? So then in John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? So a Hebrew mind that's hearing in the beginning was the word, like they're immediately like, their mind's like, oh, remez, you're talking about the very start of creation. And then Jesus, and they're like, hey, yeah, we're here at the very start of creation. I was the word, became the word, right? I was with God and I am God. And so there's these remezes that happen. And what I have found and what I keep finding is Jesus as a rabbi, because rabbis do this all the time, they use remezes. They'll start a passage of a scripture knowing that their people that are following them have read the Torah and they know like, oh, you're talking about Daniel or you're talking about Genesis. Are you talking about numbers? You, like, you know the passage I'm talking about. And they don't go into the whole thing of like, okay, let me do a whole sermon on that. They're like, hey, I'm going to briefly talk about that because I'm going to explain what this meant there, right? Now, with these remezes, you have this thing that happens where oftentimes the Pharisees or the Sadducees would be like, hey, Jesus, you are abolishing the law. And us in our Western mindsets, what we think of abolishing the law is breaking commandments or breaking laws. Like, hey, you're keeping them or you're breaking them? And you're breaking this law. And oftentimes Jesus would break traditions, but he wouldn't be breaking the law. And the thing is that we don't understand with abolishing the law or fulfilling the law is fulfilling the law means, hey, you understand mentally, you understand what that scripture is about and you're living it properly. Okay? Abolishing the law can be you understand it properly, but you're not living it. Or it could be you don't understand that. Does that make sense? 
So a lot of times when Jesus is going through and he's doing his teachings, he's saying, hey, you've been told this, but there's this. And what he'll say, we'll go, okay, oh, I've got to go back to Hosea to understand what he's saying. That's a remez, okay? The reason why I say all of that, and we'll get into it another day, because some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about, um, is in Matthew 18, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Should I forgive as much as, as Cain? Jesus answered, I tell, you the, the, I tell you the truth, not just seven, but 77 times. So immediately, the people around him are like, oh, you're going all the way back to Cain and Abel. Oh, right? And now when we start adding some context, some of the context of that day and age, and you can see it in some of the older prophets, they talk, and they were looking forward to the day. Like every time that they went into like Babylon or into these like, we're slaves again, there's this concept of like, hey, just like Abel, I can't wait for justice to come for these people, right? And so they were looking for the son of Adam, the son of man back in there, which, anyway, sometimes son of man means different things based on our English translation. But they were looking at that, and they're saying, wait, are we going to have, like, this justice coming, like Abel, who, man, he's going to bring out judgment, justice, right? And Jesus is like, what if, what if he's going to forgive? Like, what if, what if I'm going to forgive? Like, what if my intent was forgiveness from the start? What if my intent was mercy from the start? Does that make sense? Like, all right, let me throw you some other verses. Okay, so we talked about sacrifice earlier. First Samuel 15, 22. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Here he's saying, hey, obedience is better. Listening is better, right? And I, I like the fact that it's even in the fat of rams. Like, even in, better than the good sacrifices, I prefer you to be obedient, Right? I'd rather you listen and be obedient. Matthew 9, 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is Jesus, which goes back to, to Remez, back to Hosea 6, 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Right? And so the point I'm trying to make, right, is from the beginning, God has wanted to restore God has wanted to bring mercy. God has wanted to bring forgiveness. God has wanted to bring life out of death, right? And he has cared more about those things than some of the sacrifices that we put in. And I understand there's all sorts of verses, and we're going to get through them in the Torah of, of sacrifices and the need for sacrifices and all that stuff. But do we realize that he really desires mercy? That's what he really wants. He wants us to be merciful. Here's some reflections I want you to think about. What good is mere knowledge of this story, right? We talked about life and knowledge of good and evil. What good is knowledge of this story, even like in-depth knowledge or even more in-depth than I've given you today, if we don't take it and apply it to our lives, right? Like if we can't say, oh, didn't work to master their desires in the garden, didn't work to master desires with, with Cain, Am I mastering the desires of my heart that are not good, right? Um, do we desire mercy or do we desire punishment for those who have wronged us? Who do we need to forgive 77 times? Do we put our identity in the image of God 
or do we put God's image in the image of man? And do we believe his promises, even if the story seems opposite? One other fascinating thing um, that when I was digging through some of that stuff of, of Cain and Abel, it talks about Cain murdering Abel. And the word that the Greek uses is a word that would be compared to essentially a sacrifice. Isn't that crazy? Think about this. It's like, God doesn't like my sacrifice here. God, you want to sacrifice? I'm going to sacrifice my brother. There's a weight to that. Isn't that crazy? Like how often in our comparison and our other stuff do we like, no, God, instead of me repenting and getting my heart right with you, I want eye for an eye. I want that punishment. God's like, no, 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 you're missing the whole point from the beginning. I wanted you to have mercy. I wanted you to have mercy, mercy, forgiveness, and life. All right, what we do with the church, if you are new here, is we try to break up into groups. We pray over each other. We encourage each other. I know that I'm ending on kind of a heavy note. But I want us to just sit in the fact that, you know what, he wants good, but sometimes we have to get past our image of who we've made him to be, and we have to come back to him and say, God, restore the mercy, restore the forgiveness. I encourage you, if there's somebody in your life today that you need to forgive, it will free you to forgive them, okay? All right, we're going to break up into groups, we're going to pray, and then we're going to come back and worship through singing, and then uh, go from there.